Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I was born in a small town in Northeast Texas, which led to many wonderful things in my life. One of them was that I, along with many other Texans, embraced Sam Houston as a beloved hero and radiating influence. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm so glad that you've joined for this episode. I want to talk today about the power of prophetic ministry and the tragedy of resisting it. I'm continuing this series based on my new book of Kings and Prophets. I want you to get this book. I want you to have it. If you haven't read it yet, I've been thrilled with the response to this book. It means a lot to me. And and what everyone is saying, and that's what I want to hear, is that it's timely, that it's a book that speaks right now to the conflict between spiritual authority, prophetic authority, and worldly, secular power. And I hope that you will get the book and that it'll be a blessing to you. At the end of this podcast, the announcer will tell you how you can get the book through the Leader's Notebook. You can also get the book elsewhere, wherever you get Christian books. But I want you to get it. I want you to have it. And I hope that you will uh, get it to many of your friends. Hey, it's time to do your Christmas shopping. You can do it all in one place. Now, Sam Houston is far more of an international and historical figure than most people outside of Texas realize. He is the only man in the history of the United States who is the governor of two different states. He is also the only man to not only be the head of a foreign country, but to hold that position twice in addition to serving in both the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. There's so much more. His life was one of adventure, As a young boy, he ran away from home. He lived with the Cherokee Indians. He was adopted by a Cherokee chief who gave him the name The Raven, uh, which is a name that remained with him all his days. He's one of the few men in history to have fought in the armies of two different nations. He was wounded several times, including once while fighting in the Creek War, and again in his great victory at San Jacinto when he defeated the uh, Mexican Generalissimo Santa Ana. Later in his life, Houston was a national and international celebrity. Particularly, Texans adored him until the issue of secession arose. As the nation approached the terrible cataclysm of splitting wide open, Sam Houston very verbally opposed secession. He traveled up and down the state of Texas By that time, it had ceased to be the Republic of Texas and was a state. He preached his view that secession would be bad for Texas, bad for the United States. In town after town, frontier community from frontier community, Houston poured out his fierce belief, but he was shouted down and voted down again and again. Finally, when as governor, he refused to sign the oath of allegiance to the Confederacy, He was deposed, kicked out of office by the people of Texas. In the spring of 1861, he spoke out again. 
defending the principles that had already cost him his office and so much respect. You can feel Houston's agony, his grief over the future of his state and the nation that he had loved and served so faithfully. Listen to what he wrote. Friends have warned me that my life was in great peril if I expressed my honest sentiments and convictions. But the hiss of the mob and the howls of their jackal leaders cannot deter me nor compel me to take the oath of allegiance to a so-called Confederate government. The soil of our beloved South will drink deep the precious blood of our sons and brethren. I cannot nor will I close my eyes against the light and voice of reason. The die has been cast by your secession leaders, and you must ere long reap the fearful harvest of conspiracy and revolution. A few days later in Galveston, Texas, looking down at a hostile crowd from a hotel balcony, Houston declared again, some of you laugh to scorn the idea of bloodshed as the result of secession, but let me tell you what is coming. You may, after the sacrifice of countless millions of treasure and hundreds of thousands of lives as a bare possibility, even win Southern independence, if God not be against you, but I doubt it. The North is determined to preserve this union. When they begin to move in a given direction, they move with the steady momentum of a mighty avalanche. My fear is they will overwhelm the South. For declaring views like these, Sam Houston was rejected. Once great and beloved by the people of Texas, he was shunned. He died alone and despised in Huntsville, Texas at the age of 70. The year was 1863, the midpoint of the great conflagration that he had foreseen befalling the nation. At the end of an incredible career of international military and political fame, what he predicted about the Civil War turned out to be exactly correct. None of this is to say that Sam Houston was a prophet. I'm not trying to say that. Making prophetic statements in no way makes you a prophet. Yet the fact that he was right and ahead of his time in a place where no one wanted to hear what he had to say did not keep him from losing everything he had and dying in exile, dishonored by his own people. The reason I began with the story of Sam Houston is because it was much the same with the prophet Samuel. His death is described in Scripture in a likewise unspectacular way. He was not as lonely and forgotten and despised as Sam Houston, but his death was just largely overlooked. Scripture says, and Samuel died. The verse that follows tells us that Israel lamented him and buried him in his house. Certainly, he was mourned by many of the people of Israel, but there was no state funeral. There was no fancy tomb. Samuel died, and he was buried. Just that. What he had prophesied about the problems of a king that that king would bring onto the country of Israel was stunningly accurate. When the people demanded a king, Samuel said, God will give you a king if you want a king. But he said, I'm telling you, you'll regret it. I wonder whether when Samuel was on his deathbed, if anyone came to him and said, old man, you were right. We were sorry 
that we demanded a king. Saul was everything bad you predicted he would be. Please, before you die, forgive us. This is not recorded that it ever happened, and I doubt it ever happened. I doubt that on his deathbed he got one single apology email. The issue of speaking prophetically to a resistant generation is huge. There's a telling sentence about Samuel in the Bible. I love it. It says, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Think about that. Not one word fell to the ground. This is what I pray for when I preach. Any good teacher or minister prays this. I've been in worship services where the sermon was spoken and died a horrible death before it could reach the front row. Preaching at its prophetic best goes straight to the hearts of the hearers. Not one word falls to the ground. This is perhaps the most important truth about Samuel's ministry. When he spoke, every word hit its target. And gradually, the people of Israel began to grow in their confidence in the prophetic ministry of Samuel. It doesn't mean everybody did what he said or even listened to his prophetic ministry. It means they knew he was a prophet. We watch in Scripture as Samuel rises to become a sort of triple threat leader. He is a prophet. He also serves as a priest because he often offers sacrifice, and he also acts as a judge. Remember, he he comes as a colossus between the end of the book of Judges and the beginning of 1 Samuel. Samuel is there when the people rise up and say, we want a king, we want to be like other nations. Give us a king, we don't, we don't want to have to hunt down a prophet and pray. Give us a king who will lead us and form your government and form a nation, we want a king. Samuel says it's not going to be what you think. You think you want a king, but a king will draft your sons and put them in the army. If he wants your horses for his soldiers, he'll take them. Be careful what you ask for. The people, it's like they put their fingers in their ears and yell, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. Finally, God tells Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Anytime the word of God is declared with anointing and the hearers get angry, They are rebelling not so much against the person who is preaching, though they may take it out on that person. They are rebelling against the word that is being preached. This is both the pain and the comfort of prophetic preaching. Anger and rejection may very well come, but the rejection is not the preacher's, but the Lord's. But the preacher will certainly feel it as Sam Houston felt it and as Samuel felt it. Likewise, God says to all who declare his truth, be humble. When they receive the word you preach, they aren't receiving you. Don't take too much credit for it. So there it lies. If they reject the word, they're not rejecting you. If they receive the word, they're not receiving you. It's extremely important. I want to say that there is a huge, huge and sobering lesson about rejecting the prophetic word of God. I went to pastor my first church when I was 22 years old. A man in that church then, an older man in that church, remembered when he was a little boy in that same area in the early 1920s. He said, my father had a Model A, and he was one of the only people in the whole church that owned a car. He said, I attended a little hole in his church, and 
One day, the preacher said, I've heard that there's a moonshiner at a certain place in the hills, and I want you to drive me up there. The little boy, now an old man, said to me, he remembered his father saying to the minister, this is a mistake, but I'll drive you if you want to go. So they drove up to the moonshiner's house, the father and the moonshiner, and this little boy rode in the back seat and watched the whole thing happen. This elderly man remembered being a little boy sitting in the back seat of that Model A with his dad at the wheel and the holiness preacher in the passenger front seat. The car rolled up into the moonshiner's house and the preacher stepped bravely out and faced the moonshiner. He called out, I'm not a revenuer. I'm not a government man. I'm a pastor. The moonshiner yelled from the front porch, I know who you are. Get back in your car. The preacher moved forward anyway, straight toward the moonshiner. At that moment, the man told me, as he peered from the back seat, a little boy stunned. He watched as the moonshiner stepped forward, and with the heel of his hand, he hit the preacher in his forehead and staggered him backwards. Having hit the preacher, the moonshiner yelled again, get back in your car. The little boy watched as the preacher stepped back raised his hands and said, thus saith the Lord, you have tapped the man of God and I will tap you. And he got back in the car and the three of them drove away. About a month later, that little boy was driving again with his dad in the Model A. There was a knot of people looking over a drop-off by the side of the road. His father stopped the car, told the boy to wait and went over to see what was happening. He came back a moment later and said, I'm going to take you to see something. It's something terrible but you're big enough to see it and I don't want you to ever forget it. So the father took the little boy and guided him over to the drop-off. At the bottom was the moonshiner's truck. The father and son scrambled down the hillside and pried the truck door open. That moonshiner was there, dead, and the steering column had been forced straight into his forehead. Moonshiner or monarch? The sobering truth is undimmed by the centuries. Opposing the sovereign power of God is a doorway to disaster. Saul refused to obey, or at least to fully obey, and it destroyed him. He began as David began, as the chosen, God-sent, and God-anointed king, but he ended his life in witchcraft and suicidal madness. The key instrument in the clash between God and disobedient kings may well be a prophet. The violent bootlegger who dared to tap the man of God ended up dead in a ditch. The king of Israel who rejected the prophetic ministry of Samuel fell on his own sword on the barren slopes of Mount Gilboa. Strange, isn't it? Their terrible deaths were 3,000 years apart, but in death, they looked just the same. What are the lessons that we learn? First of all, partial obedience is disobedience. Do what God says. Do all that he says and do it all the way. The second is a lesson for the prophet. Discern the chapters in your life. Life is written in chapters and when one ends, it leads on to the next. To move gracefully onward, to leave a chapter behind, even the most pleasant chapter of your life, and plunge into the next one, is actually at the heart of the science of life and of obedience to God.
Samuel had enjoyed a great season as prophet and judge when it came time for him to stand aside and let Saul have the stage as a king. It was hard for the old prophet, but he did it. He listened to God and moved on to the next phase of his life. He had been a young prophet, a very young prophet, a kingmaker. But the next chapter was about being an old prophet, an absent and sometimes forgotten prophet. The last chapter was about being a judge, as great as Gideon or Jephthah. In the next chapter, he became an ex-judge, if you will, living in a mysterious and remote little school for the prophets in the hills of Ramah. Also in the next chapter, he was saving young David from a demonized King Saul. What if he had failed to move on? Those who cling to one chapter or another, refusing to move on, become emotional and leadership dwarfs. Those who are afraid of the next chapter often ruin the very chapter in which they want to stay because they won't move on. Great servants of God move on. They let God turn the page as he wills. He who is the author of each chapter will also, at the end of the whole book, be its finisher. I'm glad that you joined me for this episode. Stay tuned. The announcer has a very important announcement for you. Until we meet again, this is The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. To order a copy of Dr. Mark Rutland's new book of Kings and Prophets, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter promo code KINGS30 to receive 30% off of each book, or call us toll-free at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.